Pastor Stuart asked a question this morning to kick off his message, and I thought it's just such a good question. And he asked the question, have you ever built something? Just give me a wave if you've ever built something of some kind in some way. Did anyone here grow up in the era where you had billy carts? Yeah? Pastor Stuart was talking this morning about when he was young, one of the things that he used to do was build billy carts. Uh, I know even when we go back to dad's country town where he grew up, he, when we drive through the country, he shows us past these like bike jumps and he says, Josh, see those bike jumps? I built those bike jumps. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, even from a young age, who knows you start building stuff. I grew up in the generation of Lego. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And Christmas, eight years old, you just saw the present and it was a box, you know, like a rectangle s- slim box and you knew exactly what that meant, right? And you would unwrap that box and uh, see what you were going to build and the instruction manual would come out and you'd begin there. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And the hours would go by, you'd build it over many days and you'd play with it and then, <laughs> and then you'd modify all the pieces together into one box and build your own super Lego fort. Who knows what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, for those who may be a a little bit newer, who's ever built an Instagram account? Hey, there you go. And uh, so that's good. But who knows, all throughout our life, even from a young age, we're building things, right? Uh, Maybe you're a young adult here and you're beginning to build um, your career. And so you're at university right now studying. You're building something. Uh, Maybe you've graduated university or maybe you went into a trade or or maybe you're just working and obviously you began to build your working life reputation over time. Who knows a reputation is an incredibly valuable thing. The Bible tells us that our reputation is worth more than gold. An amazing thought in itself. Who knows there's other things that you can build in life like a great marriage. You can build a strong family. Who knows if maybe you're on our leadership team, maybe you're building a strong church team. Can we give it up for our um, department leaders tonight and our life group leaders who are part of building strong teams? Uh, Maybe here's you tonight and you lead a business and maybe you're helping to build a strong business. Maybe you work in a business Monday to Friday and you're helping to build a strong business under the leadership and vision of your supervisor, your boss, and build a big, strong, good culture. Who knows that at times in our life we're all building something. And uh, you know what you would call this building process is simply you just call it leadership. You're being a leader. You're charting a course. You're setting a direction. And if there's one thing that our world needs right now is strong leaders, right? Our world needs good, clear, strong, clear Christian leaders. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, we need more than people who just have opinions on everything. We need leaders, right, who can be brave and be courageous and and not give in to compromise and chart the course and lead strong to build something beautiful, strong, and godly. And tonight, I want to preach a message entitled, Let's Build. Let's Build. And tonight, maybe you see yourself as a leader, or maybe you don't see yourself as a leader, but I believe in some capacity, in some way, God has called every single one of us to be leaders. He's called every single one of us to be influencers. If you're a high school student, whether you realize it or not, you are leading the people around you somewhere. Come on, at university, in the workplace, the way you communicate, you're leading in some capacity. Does anyone here want to be an inspiring leader? Come on. And I love Nehemiah because he's the gentleman that we're looking at this month in the life of our church. And Nehemiah is a young man who is a leader in his time. Though he lived two and a half thousand years ago, I believe, and hopefully you've been reading it this month with us, 
But if you begin to read the book of Nehemiah, there's so many great life lessons we can learn in, in terms of how to be great builders uh, in our personal lives, uh, in, in church community, and also beyond in, in the greater community. And tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah's life. We're going to sort of summarize some of the points that we've been talking about thus far over the month and also bring out some fresh things tonight. Are you ready? Come on, let's look in the book of Nehemiah. If you've got your Bible, look with me. Otherwise, let's look at the screen. Thank you, Kutcher and production team. Awesome. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliai. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shujan, the citadel. Uh, Shujan, we've talked about uh, recently, was sort of the Persian uh, center of the world. It was uh, the winter city, so the king of Persia would live there in the winter city, and then he maybe had a different place that he lived in summer. Uh, in Shujan, in the citadel, that Hadani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now just note something for a second. He's talking about this town called Jerusalem, which we've been talking about. And he's saying that the walls are broken down, but he's also saying that its gates are burned with fire. Which for me, when I begin to think about that picture, it's not just talking about, you know, uh, walls that are sort of crumbling over time due to... You know, you know their age. It's talking about how the gates have been burned with fire, which to me talks about vandalism. So someone's gone and lit the gates on fire, right? So it sort of gives, it gives you this picture. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So this young man, who was a Jewish young man, had heard about the town of, you know, his grandparents, you know, the, his nation, and he heard that his hometown was in ruin, that it had been attacked, that the walls were falling down. Who knows what walls do in that sort of time? They're a defense. They protect the people. So he's obviously getting this picture that the walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, and the city's in reproach, which basically means it's going backwards, not going forwards, right? If you read into the, the whole book of Nehemiah, one of the things that you discover is economically they're struggling and there's corruption, and so this whole place is not going forward. And so Nehemiah hears about this, and he's upset. He, he begins to cry. Um, I, I can imagine this guy's not a push sugar over, but he also begins to pray. Who knows prayer is powerful at a challenging moment? And he begins to cry out to God. And I love this prayer that you begin to read of Nehemiah, and it's so good. And I, I would encourage you even this week to just look at this prayer in your own personal time and just meditate, think about it, chew on it, assimilate. How did Nehemiah's prayer, because it's such a powerful prayer, and it says this, I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you. Now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which they have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. He's dealing kind of with his own inadequacy, his own imperfection there. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Is that it? Awesome. So here you've got this picture of Nehemiah. He's heard about uh, Jerusalem at this time, and he begins to pray, and he begins to cry out to God. And his prayer is a prayer of realizing how big, how amazing, how profound, how good God is, and how inadequate He is. But through this prayer process, Nehemiah begins to get this burning passion, this burning desire to not just stay in the city, in the capital city, but to return to this town and help rebuild the walls. But not only that, but transform this community, and this place. And so in chapter 2, as we've read over the last months, Nehemiah approaches the king. He's the king's cupbearer at the time, which is a trusted position in that particular moment. And the king notices that he's unhappy. He's brought, could I put it this way, as Pastor Stuart did this morning, he's brought his home life to work. Which, you know, isn't particularly professional, uh, but Nehemiah can't help it. He's so upset about the state of this place, that he's brought this to work, the king notices it, and the king, in a nice way, sort of says, hey, what, what is going on, Nehemiah? What's, tell me what's happening, and Nehemiah explains his heart about the state of Jerusalem, and very graciously, the king says, you know what, Nehemiah, go for it, go and sort it out, and Nehemiah, in his boldness, asks the king for the resources and everything that he needs to be able to do this, and so Nehemiah begins this amazing journey. It takes Nehemiah something like two months. He takes two months off work, to go and, and rebuild this community. If you do the study, which we looked at two weeks ago, if you look it up in Google now to get from Shujan all the way over to Jerusalem, it's about a 20-hour drive now. Now, take into consideration that it's in the Middle East, so it's, is, there's a lot of desert. So particular, probably at that time, um, it alludes to the idea that Nehemiah was, rode a horse, so Nehemiah on horseback maybe had to go around the desert, maybe he had to take a different route. And who knows that horses are slower than cars. <laughs> so, Nehemiah, <laughs> so Nehemiah, obviously it took him some time to be able to go to this place. And he arrives in Jerusalem and he, he arrives there. And, and the Bible alludes this idea that what he does is he goes and spies out the state of the city by night and begins to check out the, how the city is and and gets a good picture, and gets a good idea, and then he goes to the people of Jerusalem, and he basically, do, do we have it there, Katya? Do we have that scripture? No, that's, that's wrong. So he, he goes there, and, and, and basically what he says to these people is he says, come on, people, it's time to rebuild the wall. It's time to change things. But not only does he say that, but he says, you know, I want to give you a confidence today that I believe that God is with me. And so Nehemiah begins this amazing journey of rebuilding this wall, and we've been looking at some amazing points uh, over this season as we've been journeying together of Le Nehemiah's leadership journey, of things that he did well to be able to transform this city. I love this because he, he transformed not uh, the, you know, the, the walls, the, the political society, he helped families, he helped the finances, he helped the government. In two months, they saw a revival in Jerusalem that transformed the place. Who knows, God can do amazing things through you, sometimes in very very short amount of times. 
But I love Nehemiah's heart because he was ready for what God was wanting to do. He wasn't on the back foot. He was on the front foot, expectant and ready to do something amazing for God. Can I encourage you? Maybe God could encourage you to do something significant and profound, even tomorrow. Are you ready for what God wants to do through your life? This morning, Pastor Stuart was talking about wisdom, which we'll touch on a little bit more tonight. But wisdom, the Bible says, is the ability to apply truth. Where do you find truth? In this amazing book. Come on, somebody, called the Bible. I believe that this isn't some outdated, old, lame book. This is a book full of life that can bring life to your life. It's a book full of great instruction that I believe if we apply it, will bring God's blessing, His favor. It's, it's really God saying, I love you so much that I created this book to help you learn how to navigate life well. Isn't, doesn't that sound like a good dad? Don't you love that? Some people say this is a statement. They say, there's no roadmap to life. There's no book to life. Tonight, I want to encourage you. Here it is. <laughs> and, and grab a hold of it. And uh, th- this here, I just want to encourage you. This is one of my preaching Bibles. That's why it looks so perfect. And then I have at home my study Bible. And uh, the reason I have two Bibles is because the pages were falling out of my study one. And I go to Philippians, and Philippians was gone. <laughs> and so it's good to make sure you have the whole Bible when you preach. And, uh, but, you know, we were talking about how wisdom is the ability to apply this book. And the Bible says that if we lack wisdom, if we ask God, He'll give it liberally. So what will God give you? He's not, only just, he's not just going to give you more knowledge. He's going to give you more opportunities to apply truth, which is an amazing thought. So when you ask God for wisdom tonight, if you say, God, fill me with wisdom. I want to receive your wisdom in my life. Expect amazing opportunities to apply wisdom. Now, why would you want to do that? Because the Bible says the life of a wise person spirals upwards. The Bible says the life of someone who neglects wisdom, the Bible says that person's a fool. And if you read Proverbs, not a lot of fun. (laughs) So it's so important. Let's look at some of the things that Nehemiah got right in in his leadership journey that we can apply to our lives today. Number one, we've talked about this together. Nehemiah put God first. He put God first. Pastor Stuart preached an amazing message about that, about making that decision in our lives, come on, no matter what the cost, to put God first. Uh, Two weeks ago on a Sunday night, I talked about passion and uh, how Nehemiah was a person of passion, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult. If you read Nehemiah's story, there's just this exuberance of passion on the inside. I think two weeks ago, Pastor Stuart got a pizza base with nothing on it, and he said, this is what a life looks like without passion. Is there any passionate people in the room right now? Hey, is there any people who are passionate for God? Come on, is there any people who are passionate to be leaders who bring heaven to earth? Come on, even tomorrow. Oh, that's about 20%. Come on, is there anyone tonight who's a little bit passionate about bringing heaven to earth in their life today? Is there anyone who's a little bit passionate about letting God's goodness and His grace and His truth and His freedom shine brightly and boldly through your life that it cannot be ignored? Come on. 
And so to be people of passion. And I've discovered the devil will try and snuff out your passion. He'll try and kill your passion. Sometimes other people will try and kill your passion. But come on, let that fire of God, that passion that God has put on the inside of you, don't let it stop. Some people will just say it's hype. Some people will just say it's like tis. But come on, Nehemiah, he had wisdom. He put God first. But there was some passion on the inside that began to burn for God. I trust when people come to freshwater church services that there's some passion in the place. I hope we're not, oh, yes, Lord, I'm so excited. You know, tonight, Taylor and Julie were singing that song. His body drenched with tears talking about Jesus. Talk about passion. And Jesus says, you know, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, Father, let it. In other words, this is really hard for me. But because of your passion for people, I'll go. I'll go. And I want to encourage you today, let that passion be strong and alive with inside of you. Let tomorrow, when you walk out of this place, let people feel your passion for God. Your exuberance for God. I love this. Pastor Stuart talked about last Sunday morning about how Nehemiah was a young man who was passionate about prayer. He was a man who was committed to prayer. I love Nehemiah's prayer because he brings out how big God is. Then he deals with how unperfect he is, but the fact that God wants to do something great and keep his promises and maybe use him in such a significant way. Today, we're talking about how Nehemiah had developed wisdom in his life. He developed this amazing wisdom to be able to become a strong man. And uh, tonight and next week, we're going to talk about also how Nehemiah had a tenacity. He had a stickability. He didn't give up when the going got tough. And tonight, just to begin to think about that, Nehemiah was wise. And I know I began to go on that journey of thinking about what things did Nehemiah do that was so wise? What, what, what simple things did he do? Like what practical things that we could apply today from Nehemiah's life that he did that showed and displayed the wisdom of God? And you know, some of the things that I noticed, simple things, like Nehemiah just had a great perspective of who God is. Like just so simple. You know, I love the start of Nehemiah's prayer, and he's talking about how awesome and how great God is. And he also talks about if these people were willing to just humble themselves to God's ways, how he so desired to show mercy in their lives. You know, who knows today, for every single person in Cairns, God desires to show great mercy to their lives. And I love God because His commands, who knows that God doesn't need us to obey His commands, you know, it doesn't affect Him, but who knows when we obey God's commands, life just works. You know, I think one of the coolest commands in the Bible is to, you know, enjoy the Sabbath, to take the Sabbath, which basically means God's saying, I want you to do a whole bunch of stuff six days, and then one day a week, which I would say sounds like a really easy thing to do, until you try it, <laughs> to stop for a day. But you've got to understand, when God put this in the hearts of people, and when He began to spoke it, you know, all these years ago, it's an amazing thought when you begin to think, about how these people, the Jewish people, were surrounded by other cultures and other societies who were probably working seven days. They were probably going for it. Other countries were trying to attack other countries, and they were going for it. And God spoke to them and said, this is going to be weird. This is going to be inconvenient. But I want you, unlike everyone else around you, to take a day off. Now, to us, that's like, oh, yeah, that sounds relaxing in Australia. 
But can you imagine the faith step that it would have taken for those people to not advance their kingdom for a whole day, to just stop? But you know what it said to all the people who lived around them? These people can take a day off and still be more prosperous and still be more blessed and still get ahead. And somehow it it revealed that God was on their side. And I love that, that God's commandments, and who knows it's good to take a day off to chill out. The Bible says that even when God created the world, he took the seventh day off. You know, I even think about tithing, which is such a powerful thought, and we've realized that the tithe means a 10%. Isn't it an amazing thought that we can give God, through our local church, 10% of our giving, and actually believe that we can have great blessing that the world could look at and go, how come you're so blessed, even though you're giving more money away than I am? Isn't that an amazing thought? Come on, that's amazing. And so, so you've got to understand that when we begin to honor God's commands, they might seem outrageous to the world. But I want to tell you that they work today. I want to tell you that they're powerful today. Come on, God doesn't need your money, but who knows that when you surrender that 10%, when you worship God through your tithes and offerings, when you say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my money. Come on, more than I want new new sneakers, more than I want to eat out, I'm willing to trust you with my money and worship you in this way. Who knows that it's good for us? Who knows that it brings us alive, and then through us, through the local church, we can make a difference all over this city and all over the world. Is there anyone tonight who wouldn't be the person they were today if it wasn't for the local church? Come on, is there anyone who wouldn't be the man or woman that they are today if it wasn't for the local church? Come on, God's changed my life sitting in these services. God's changed my life spending time with people just like you who have encouraged me and believed in me and got behind me and saw the best in me even when I couldn't see it in myself today. It's amazing what God can do through, and you don't have to, we're not pushing you, but I just believe it's an awesome kingdom principle to begin to grab and wrap around your heart, to begin to apply truth. But here, this amazing perspective of how great, of how amazing God is, and this understanding of who God is and whom God had called him to be, gave Nehemiah this phenomenal confidence, amazing confidence that he was able to walk into a city with the blessing of a king, whom he had the confidence to ask for the resources to build what he wanted to build, and say to a people, God's called me here, and we're going to change this place. And I want to encourage you today, when you get an amazing, come on, this is simple, but when you get a healthy perspective of how big, of how strong, of how amazing God is, and whom he's called you to be, it should bubble up a confidence on the inside of you. It should give you a confidence on the inside. God hasn't called us to be timid, afraid, insecure people. He's called us to be people whose lives, he puts it this way, are built on the rock, who are strong, who are clear, who are confident, who are not limited by confusion, but have a clarity on the inside. We know who we are, we know who God is, and we know where we're going in this life. Isn't that refreshing when you meet a person like that? And I love this because sometimes we can forget, but that's what prayer is all about, to come into that place where you remind yourself who God truly is. That's what I love about this service tonight, and thank you, Taylor and Julie and the whole team. Bex, you rock. Mum tonight, coming, serving God. Nick's at home looking after all the babies. You rock. But come tonight, and we've sung those lyrics, for God so loved the world. Come on, that God so loved us. Is there anyone who's feeling a little bit loved tonight? Hey! And I want to encourage you, maybe you're here for the first time, and I want to tell you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this, but God loves you. Oh, He's so, so good. 
You know, I love Nehemiah because Nehemiah isn't a wing it guy. Nehemiah has a clear, effective plan. Who knows God, God desires us to be people who live with a clear, effective plan in our lives. That we're not just wandering through. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So I want to encourage you, get stepping. Get stepping, get dreaming, get creating plans, get believing that God wants to do something great for your life. Come on, if you could dream as big as possible, if you could let the bigness of God get around the inside of you, what could you do in this world to do something significant and powerful for God? The third thing I love about Nehemiah that I think is a wise move is that Nehemiah had strong, firm convictions. He had amazing convictions. The word conviction, I love the way Pastor Stuart puts it. He says, a conviction is a belief that you're willing to die for. A conviction. Is there anyone here tonight who has some convictions? Stuff that no matter how hard the pressure gets, no matter what pushes against you, you just won't let go of. Convictions, they're like roots in your life that even when a storm can come and try and push you sideways, you're just like, I'm not letting go of this conviction. A belief that you're willing to die for. You know, I was thinking about my life even this week, church, you know, and I just decided that I don't want to be someone who's like a piece of driftwood floating through life. I want to be like a jet boat who's got a course set and keeps moving forward. And one of the things we're going to need to achieve that, come on, is convictions. I love what Matt was talking about, about, you know, the long-term distance of marriage. Isn't that a conviction? I'm going to stick to this no matter how hard, no matter how easy it is, because I can have a conviction to be faithful to this marriage. Thanks for being an inspiration. Thanks for being an encouragement to us as young people. It's so awesome. It's so cool. And so to develop those convictions. You know, all throughout the Bible, people had these amazing convictions. I love this. Noah would not stop building an ark. Joseph would not remove his coat. Gideon would not allow the idols to stand. Moses would not stop pushing for the freedom of a people bound in slavery. Esther would not allow the murdering of an entire people group. Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the idols, even if it cost them their lives. Daniel would not stop praying, even if he was thrown to the lions. Jesus would not stop healing people, even if it cost him his life. And Paul would not stop worshiping, even in prison. And Nehemiah would not stop building the walls, even when he had to have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. Wow, what a powerful thing that we can begin to live that sort of life. And I love Nehemiah's journey because so many things tried to stop him. Intimidation, people around him beginning to say, you can't do this, you can't be this. You know, fear of conflict would have been had something Nehemiah would have had to push through. Come on, keep going. Distraction, one of the things the enemies did is they found that they couldn't tease him enough or they couldn't pull him down enough. So they invited the enemy of Nehemiah trying to build these walls, these people who lived on the outside of the walls who didn't want to see this um, nation succeed. They started throwing dinner parties and inviting Nehemiah. And you know, sometimes, can I speak to the young adults for a moment? Come on, sometimes if the enemy can't get you through just, you know, pushing you down, pushing you down, pushing you down, he'll try and lure you with traps. He'll try and pull you away. And I'm not saying, you know, you have to live in this little cocoon and in this box. But I want to tell you, don't let anything stop you building the walls that God has called you to build. Don't let anything stop you. And Nehemiah, you know, it wasn't about going to a party. It wasn't about eating the food. But he was not prepared to stop building the walls for the party. He was not prepared to stop. You know, as a young person, I believe that God's called me to be a kingdom builder in his house. I believe tonight, uh, hopefully I'm, I'm not just a helper. I believe I'm called by God to be here to make a difference. 
Is anyone who's with me? Come on, I believe God's got me here, planted in this church for a reason and for such a time as this. I believe, come on. And I want to tell you, you know, one of the biggest things I had to journey through as a young person is so many temptations to steal my Sunday, to steal me jobs, boating, swimming. And I love all, you know, all of those things working, you know, it's all good. But I want to tell you that's good. But above all that, I'm putting God first. And God says, don't forsake getting together as the local church, encouraging each other and stirring up love and good works. And I want to encourage us tonight, don't let anything stop you building the walls that God has called you to build. Don't let distraction, don't let compromise. If you read the story, at one particular time, they try and confuse Nehemiah and put all this pressure for him to break the rules that he'd set in his heart. But Nehemiah refused to compromise to the things that he'd put in his heart. Nehemiah at times struggled with motivation, but somehow Nehemiah in his tenacity just pushed through and said, nothing will stop me building the walls that God has called me to build. You know, tonight, just in the time we have left, if I could draw a really cool picture tonight. Let me draw here God. And who knows the way that God likes to speak to us is through this amazing person called the Holy Spirit, who the Bible gives him this amazing name called our helper. And the way the helper likes to work is he likes to remind us of what Jesus has said to us, which we can find written in the Bible. He likes to speak through God's, can I put it this way, the Bible, what else do we call it? God's Word. The Bible, a direction book to us. He likes to speak to us and come and speak to our hearts. How good is that? Last week, Pastor Stuart really helped us because he talked about some of the things that we have to overcome to allow God's truth to get inside of our hearts. He talked about sometimes pressure. You know, a bit like I talked about the people at the Sabbath. You know, who, who knows, there would have been a lot of pressure to work. Like a lot of pressure. Oh, we'll just like do some extra. I'll just get ahead a little bit. But the pressure. He talked about the cares of this world. He talked about character and all these things. You should listen to the podcast. One of the best messages I've ever heard. So, so encouraging. And so all of a sudden, but if we are willing to push through these things, we can allow God's truth to get inside of our hearts. And who knows that's a beautiful thing. You know, the Bible says that, you know, a heart without God's truth can be a dangerous thing. You know when people, you hear those songs like, follow your heart. You know, like, just do whatever your heart tells you to do. That can be dangerous if truth is not inside of your heart, right? Some people are like following their heart, and I want to tell them that they need to follow some convictions in the Bible that are going to direct their heart in the right course, okay? Cool. Who knows that doing everything you feel like doing isn't always smart? And that's the world today. Just do whatever feels good. You're like, you're crazy. (laughs) And so all of a sudden in our heart, and God wants to build. And so all of a sudden, I love Nehemiah because it's this cool book about really practical, but you realize that things in the Old Testament often can be a picture of what God wants to do on the inside and the inside of our lives. And so God wants us to build these strong walls on the inside of our hearts, right? And I love this because Nehemiah not only talks about walls, but it talks about gates, right? So in other words, God wants you to have a life where you can, through His Word, through His truth, create something that's healthy, something that's beautiful, something that reflects His goodness, and you can decide through His Word what comes in and what comes out. So you're just not like whatever, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, just whatever comes through. No, all of a sudden you've developed these walls of character and these walls of conviction, and the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, right? And so you begin to let the inside of your life become a beautiful, sweet place. I love when Pastor Peter was here. He talked about these different uh, 
areas in our life that we need to build strong. He talked about, you know, the financial area, our relationship area, um, all sorts of different areas in our spiritual life, our physical life that we need to build strong in our world so that that can be a safe place. And so when we get home healthy, often when people connect with us as a church, our first thing is like, just let God's goodness, just let God's grace come alive on the inside of your heart. Let it be strong. Let it be beautiful. One of the best things you can do is let him, the Bible says that he wants his truth and he also wants himself to come into your life. Who's experienced God coming into their life? Amazing. All right, so then all of a sudden, what you begin to do is you, you begin, as you become a born-again believer, you start helping advance the kingdom. How cool is that? You, you start advancing God's kingdom. Who knows that as a church, come on, we are advancing God's kingdom, that when people kiss, connect, meet with us as the local church, come on, we want this to be a strong, safe place where people can find refuge and hope and truth, right? But then the cool thing is because it gets a little bit wilder again, and then all of a sudden God says, you know what I want you to do is I want you to keep being faithful in your church and building the kingdom in this way, but I want also the church to get outside the walls, and I want you to begin to influence areas of society. But I want to tell you, it starts with getting your heart right. If you can't get the walls of your heart strong, and you go and try and take on some massive big cultural society thing in the world, it's going to be crazy hard. But if you can let here be healthy, and then maybe you can run a life group. Be faithful. Come to the prayer meetings. Build. Allow people to disciple you. Allow it to be a healthy place. Then all of a sudden you get built up. I love Paul's journey of this in the New Testament. That you and I can build and transform the culture of this world. What's God's desire for our world to look like? He wants our world to look like heaven. You know, some people right now, they've never been to hell, but who knows that they're living in hell. But God wants to use you and I to bring heaven to earth, to see this place transformed. And one of the things that we're going to need to develop so firmly in our life is strong, real convictions. I love in the New Testament in Corinthians, and Paul, one of the writers of the Bible, and he describes what love is. And he says, love is patient, love is kind, love is, does not envy, love does not parade. And he talks about all these things that love is. But I love in that same scripture because he also talks about what love isn't. And I love later in John, when God says through John, he says that God is love. So basically in 1 Corinthians, God's describing himself, who he is. And don't you find it interesting that God describes himself based on who he is, but also who he's not? Like, imagine if I said, Taylor, tell me a bit about yourself. And you're like, oh, I'm a social worker, and I do this, and I do this. Be like, and I'm not this, and I don't eat this. And, you know, like, it's a really e weird way to describe yourself. But I want to tell you today, if we're going to be influential leaders, then you need to decide who you are, but you also need to decide who you're not. Who you are and who you're not. That the convictions of your life can go down deep go down strong. As we close tonight, in men's university, one of the things we get men to do is we ask them on your tombstone when you pass away, what are the words that you want written there? In other words, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? And maybe tonight, it's a great opportunity to zoom out from the busyness of life say, at the end of the day, in a hundred years' time, what do I want to be 
Father, tonight, we're all yours. You got us. You got our attention. We give you our devotion. And today, two and a half thousand years later, we want to be like men and women who look a little bit like Nehemiah, who can be kingdom builders. Father, tonight, help us to put you first. Help us to trust you for how beautiful, how lovely, how amazing you truly are. Help us to let that passion grow, to be people of prayer and people of wisdom and tenacity. Help us today to clearly identify who you've called us to be, overcomers, more than conquerors, strong, courageous, bold, humble, and generous. But God, also who we are not. We need you so much. I thank you tonight, God. You're not a God who stands with your arms folded, judging our lives, but you're a God who, if we let you, has come to help us. Help us. Help us tonight. You're like a good dad who's come to help us. So we don't need to fear you, but we just need to trust you. God, I thank you tonight for every single person here, their week that they're about to have. I thank you that even when they're weak, you are strong. And I pray tonight that this week you'd allow your strength to bubble up and flow through us. In Jesus' name.